Peace be upon you. So God willing, today I want to talk about the subject of circumcision as shown in the Quran. And now the natural tendency when someone hears such a statement is, what do you mean? The Arabic word for circumcision is khatan, and khatan does not occur, this word does not occur in the Quran. But what I'm going to argue or what I'm going to show is that the, the inferences to this practice are rampant throughout the whole Quran. And we have to realize that all the religious practices we have today in submission, uh, they all stem back from one individual, and that's Abraham. These were rituals and rites that God gave to Abraham that from generation to generation to generation have been preserved. And God tells Muhammad in the Quran in Surah 16 verse 123, says, Then we inspired you, Muhammad, to follow the religion of Abraham, the monotheist. He never was an idol worshiper. That God is commanding Muhammad to follow these religious practices. So for instance, the Salat, the Zakat, the Hajj, fasting, these are all practices that have been passed down from generation to generation. And that's the reason we don't have these all the steps for salat or how to perform you know the zakat in the uh, uh the quran uh, god told us to do these practices god told muhammad to do these practices because they were already in existence people already knew what the religious practices of abraham were what the quran deals with are the elements that have been disputed the elements that have been corrupted and circumcision is the one practice, the one religious practice uh, passed down from Abraham that everyone universally accepts. When it comes to the other practices, these have been distorted or corrupted, and God has corrected that through the Quran. In Surah 16, verse 64, it reads, And we have revealed this scripture to you to point out for them what they dispute and to provide guidance and mercy for people who believe. So the function, one of the main functions of the Quran is to settle these matters that have been disputed among the recipients of the previous scripture. And so we see that, again, because everyone has universally accepted circumcision, that this matter is not uh, specified because it doesn't need to be corrected. But then take something like the Sabbath. The Sabbath is disputed among Christians and Jews as far as what the correct day is. And God tells us in Surah 16, verse 124, so this is right after it says, Follow the religion of Abraham. It says the Sabbath was decreed only for those who ended up disputing it. Those are Christians and Jews. Your Lord is the one who will judge them on the day of resurrection regarding their disputes. Meaning that this is something that God is telling us it doesn't apply to us anymore. We see that in regards to Siam fasting, that God has made an exception that we are now allowed to have intercourse with our wives during the nights of Ramadan with the exception of the last 10 nights uh, if we choose to retreat to the masjid. And in 2187 it says, Henceforth you may have intercourse with them seeking what God has permitted for you. And God is telling us that this is uh, a way that fasting has been modified for us. And same thing we see that in regards to ablution, you know, you talk to the average person right now, uh, what are your steps for wudu before you pray? And they'll give you a list of like nine steps and God specifies in the Quran that it's only four steps. So these matters that have been disputed, God uses the Quran to clarify for us. And when it comes to the aspect of circumcision, this is something that has been universally accepted. It's never been disputed. But what I want to do is show these uh, words and verses and topics that show that this practice is not an innovation and it's not a satanic practice. Now, if someone chooses to do it or not, it's a personal decision. But I just want to reflect on these verses in the Quran. So the very first example of circumcision being mentioned or kind of hinted upon in the Quran is in Surah 2 verse 124. It reads, recall that Abraham was put to the test by his Lord through certain commands, and he fulfilled them. So God is telling us that 
Abraham was put to the test by God through certain commands and he fulfilled them. And it continues, it says, God said, I am appointing you an imam for the people. He said, also my descendants. He said, my covenant does not include the transgressors. So God is telling us that because of this covenant, because of this test that he fulfilled, that God appointed him a imam, a leader. And it's something that has to do with future descendants. And it continues in 125, it says, And we have rendered the shrine, the Kaaba, a focal point for the people and a safe sanctuary. You may use Abraham's shrine as a prayer house. We commission Abraham and Ishmael, you shall purify my house for those who visit, those who live there, and those who bow and prostrate. So we have a lot of this rich information in there, that this is a covenant that God made with Abraham because he fulfilled certain commands and that Ishmael was involved during this process. So what does this, you know, what are these commands that are given? God doesn't specify this in the Quran, but if we read Genesis 17 in the Bible, we see that there's something very similar to this event. And it's the covenant of circumcision that God made with Abraham. Starting from verse 7, it reads, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you and the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not of your offspring. So again, we see the similarity that God is making a covenant with Abraham that saying, hey, look, you're supposed to circumcise, that this is going to impact generations to come, and this is the everlasting covenant. And we read in uh, verse 23 of Genesis 17, it says, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. So God is informing us that a lot of there's a lot of information packed into this that uh, Abraham and Ishmael both fulfilled this covenant of circumcision and that it happened when a uh, Ishmael was 13 years old the other thing that this verse confirms is that there is a dispute between the Quran and the uh, the, the Old Testament regarding who was the child that Abraham was uh, believed he had to sacrifice so the Quran believes it was Ishmael and the uh, uh, Bible twisted it to make it seem like it's Isaac. But these verses actually clarify that for 13 years, Ishmael was Abraham's only son. Because in the verses where it talks about you shall sacrifice your son, it says you shall sacrifice your only son. And there's the only time that Abraham had one son was when he had Ishmael. But th we'll save this for another, uh, another time. But nevertheless, we see that this covenant and the parallels it has between uh, the Quran in Surah 2 verse 124 uh, verse what we're seeing in Genesis 17, that these are both covenants that God made uh, for Abraham and his descendants. Uh, and from that, he made him into a leader and a mom for the, the people. And again, that this is something that Ishmael was involved in as well. So some people, their natural tendencies will saying, look, we shouldn't be following the, the, uh, the Bible. And I 
understand that a lot of people they they have apprehension towards the bible as a follower of the quran we follow the quran alone but at the same time there's valuable information in the bible for us to learn from in surah 10 verse 94 it says if you have any doubt regarding what is revealed to you from your lord then ask those who read the previous scripture indeed the truth has come to you from your lord do not be with the doubters that God is saying that for those individuals, there's information in the previous scriptures that confirm what's in the Quran. In Surah 5 verse 59, it says, Say, O people of the scripture, do not hate us because we believe in God and what was revealed to us and what was revealed before us and because most of you are not righteous. So God is telling us that, look, it's our duty as a follower of the Quran that we believe in the previous scriptures. We believe in the uh, the Torah, the Injil, the, the Gospels, that these are books that God has bestowed upon his prophets of the past uh, that are still around today. Yeah, there were some innovations or some tweaks like the one we just mentioned, but the overall structure is uh, concise and it's something that you know we shouldn't be disregarding entirely. Uh, what's fascinating is circumcision is not something that's just mentioned one time in the Bible. It's not like it's just in Genesis 17 and that's it. The occurrence of circumcision in the uh, Old Testament, not looking at the New Testament, just the Old Testament, occurs over 50 times in 12 separate books. Meaning that this is a major part of the religious practices. Now, if this was to be a satanic practice or an innovation or something in essence that uh, was never should have been attributed to God, you would have thought one of these numerous prophets or messengers would have clarified this matter for us. So if all of a sudden we're going to say that this is a satanic innovation, it's haram, it's this or that, where's the evidence from the Quran to indicate that? Uh, it doesn't exist. You know, every prophet, every messenger, it seems that not only did they uh, either not mention the topic, if they do, it's always in the sense of this is something that's supposed to be done that's attributed back to Abraham. So that's the first piece is Surah 2 verse 124. Let's continue on. In Surah 53 verse 33 through 37, we read, Have you noted the one who turned away? So God is identifying the individual turned away. It says, Rarely did he give to charity and then very little. Did he possess knowledge of the future? Could he see it? And it says, was he not informed of the teachings in the scripture of Moses and Abraham who fulfilled? So what is it that Abraham who fulfilled that the person who turned away would be aware of? God is informing us of something that even the one who turned away would be aware of something that Abraham fulfilled. What could this possibly be? Right, we read in Surah 2 verse 124 that God told us that Abraham fulfilled certain commands that God gave to him. But again, it doesn't specify what are these commands. And again, in this verse, in Surah 53, verse 37, it says that the one who turned away is going to be familiar with what Abraham fulfilled in the previous scriptures. So if you ask the average person, what is it that Abraham fulfilled? Let's say that they're not religiously inclined because there's a lot of commandments and history of Abraham that we have, but the average person isn't going to be familiar with. But there's two events in Abraham's life that pretty much anyone who has the least bit of religious uh, understanding uh, is aware of. The first one, again, we mentioned was regarding uh, Abraham's dream that he thought he was supposed to sacrifice his son. The second thing that, again, everyone universally identifies Abraham with is the covenant of circumcision. That even someone who turned away is familiar with this. And God is calling this out in the Quran as something that, again, uh, the, the individual who turned away from the Quran is even going to be aware of. So despite the fact that circumcision is not mentioned in the Quran, it's depicted again in these indirect ways. So let's look, could this have possibly been the dream that Abraham had? What we see is there's two ways that we are tested. 
One way we're tested is by Satan. In this example, let's say for instance in uh, Adam and Eve in paradise, Satan was the one who went and whispered to them to try to get them to break God's words, God's commandments. That's a test that this can't be in regards to because in Surah 2 verse 124, it specifically says God gave the commands and then Abraham fulfilled. So what condition is it that God directly tests us? The only time that God directly tests a human being is through commands that he expects us to fulfill. So let's look at the, the dream that Abraham had. We know for a fact that this dream did not come from God, it came from Satan. Satan was testing Abraham and Abraham believed that that dream was from God. But then secondly is he didn't fulfill the dream. The reason he didn't fulfill the dream is because God intervened to stop him from sacrificing his son. So therefore, this can't be the, 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 the event that it's talking about Abraham who fulfilled in Surah 53 verse 37. So this only leaves us with the circumcision covenant, that this was a direct commandment that God gave to Abraham and he did fulfill it. And because of that, God was able to establish this covenant between Abraham and his descendants. And here is an example in the Quran of God giving a direct commandment to a prophet and it's their obligation to fulfill it. And it has to do with Muhammad being commanded to marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. In Surah 33 verse 36 through 37 it reads, No believing man or believing woman, if God and his messenger issue any command, has any choice regarding that command. Anyone who disobeys God and his messenger has gone far astray. Recall that you said to the one who is blessed by God and blessed by you, keep your wife and reverence God. And you hid inside yourself what God wished to proclaim. Thus, you feared the people when you were supposed to fear only God. When Zaid was completely through with his wife, we had you marry her in order to establish the precedent that a man can marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. God's commands shall be done. So here we have God giving the, uh, the prophet a direct commandment to do something. And it's his obligation to fulfill that command. And this is the kind of command that God gave to Abraham. That God told him to do something and he fulfilled it. And again, the only universally recognized event that Abraham fulfilled this commandment directly from God that is recognized by even the ones who turned away is that of circumcision. So we see this another reassurance that circumcision is part of the practice uh, that was passed down from Abraham, that it's not an innovation, it's not a uh, satanic practice, um, but there's more. The expression in uh, throughout the Quran, eight times it occurs, God has told uh, the followers of the Quran, told Muhammad specifically, to follow the religion of Abraham, uh, monotheism. And the Arabic for that is Malata Ibrahim. This expression, Malata Ibrahim, it occurs eight times in the Quran. In Surah 2 verse 135, it says, They said, you have to be Jewish or Christian to be guided. Say, we follow the religion of Abraham, Malata Ibrahim, monotheism, Hanif. He never was an idol worshiper. And again, in 16.123, we read, Then we inspired you, Muhammad, to follow the religion of Abraham, Malata Ibrahim, uh, the monotheist. He never was an idol worshiper. So this expression, Malata Ibrahim, God could have picked any expression. But he specifically chose this one, Malat Ibrahim. He could have said the Deen of Abraham, but he didn't. He chose Malat. Now, Malat comes from the root Mim Lam Lam. So in Arabic, every word has a corresponding root. In that root, you get the derivative meanings. In uh, Mim Lam Lam, it means to dictate, to embrace a religion, uh, faith, or, or a creed. And we see that these words, again, there is very high significance to their selection. 
that in Arabic, the root is mim lam lam. But in Hebrew, what's fascinating is both Hebrew and Arabic are Semitic languages. They both follow the same model, that every word has a corresponding uh, typical trilateral root. And from that root, you get all the derivative meanings. So the question is, what is the equivalent of malat in Hebrew? So in uh, Arabic, it's mim lam lam is the root. And if you look at that exact same corresponding root in Hebrew, uh, the letters are mem lamed lamed, which corresponds again to mim lam lam. But what does the meaning of this root mean in Arabic? Uh, sorry, in Hebrew. In Hebrew, uh, these the meaning, it all revolves around separating or severing something from what is normally connected. And one of the core meanings of this Hebrew root, mem lamed lamed, it means circumcision. And you see that this root is used in the Bible, the Old Testament, 36 times. And one of the occurrences, again, is in Genesis 17:11. It says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. That this same root, it means circumcision. So when someone hears the expression, Malat Ebrahim, in Hebrew, it's as if you're saying the circumcision of Abraham. Now, what's really interesting is if you look at this expression, Malat Ebrahim, in Hebrew, does it occur in the Bible? It occurs two times. And both times, it's around the circumcision of Abraham. In Genesis 17, 26, we read, in the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael his son. So in, this, in the Hebrew of this, it says, Malat Ibrahim, the same expression we have in the Quran eight times where it talks about the, the, the religion of Abraham. Uh, the second time we see this used, is in uh, uh, Genesis 21.4, and again it reads, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God has commanded him. And we see this exact same expression in Hebrew, Malat Ebrahim. Now what's so fascinating is God could again could have picked any expression to say the religion of Abraham. He could have said the deen of Abraham, but he specifically chose this expression. And for someone to realize that, look, in Hebrew, this expression means the circumcision of Abraham, and in Arabic, it means the religion of Abraham. I don't think that that's a uh, coincidence. Uh, even the word uh, mul, uh, it means circumcision, and uh, brit millah, which is the Hebrew of the covenant of circumcision. Um, that Brit is covenant and law, it means uh, circumcision, that these are the same roots, the same words in Hebrew as we have in the Arabic. And these are, again, it's another fascinating point. So let's continue on. So we see that the expression Malat Ibrahim in Hebrew, it means the circumcision uh, of Abraham. Um, but God says Malat Ibrahim Hanif, monotheism. So in 16.123, it says, We inspired you, Muhammad, to follow the religion of Abraham. In Arabic, that's Malat Ibrahim. And it says the monotheist, which is Hanifan. Hanif has a meaning, again, in Arabic. So in Arabic, we see that this expression occurs in eight uh, times. Every time that it says, follow the religion of Abraham, uh, it references Hanif. So the root of Hanif is Hanun Fa. And this root, the derivative meanings are to lean on one side, incline or decline, turn away from error to guidance, incline to the right religion, stand firmly on one side, leave a false religion and turn to the right, act according to the law of Abraham. But it also means to be circumcised, to turn away from idol worship, to perform hajj. And I believe one of the other derivative meanings is uh, someone who performs ablution. So God is using, again, this word in order to signify the religion of Abraham. Now, he could have picked any multitude of words to said 
absolute devotion, monotheism, but he chose the word Hanif. And these words, again, they have meanings uh, that we aren't supposed to just disregard. We don't just look at it one time and take the surface level understanding. We dig into it and they construct what does it mean to follow the religion of uh, Abraham uh, Hanif. And it, one of these meanings is to be circumcised, uh, to practice circumcision. Um, and this corresponds, again, with this idea of Milat Ibrahim, the circumcision of Abraham, that God is using these, these uh, words, these specific selection of words, for us to understand what they mean. Now, the wrong thing that happens is we don't take these roots and treat them as a Mad Lib, where we just apply whatever we want in place of the, the, uh, the word. Uh, that would be silly, you know. Uh, but what we do do is by looking at the derivative, the, the root meanings of these words, we get a framework of what the meaning of that word is. Because if you use something like, say, monotheism, or you use something like righteous, or sin, or transgression, these things, it's hard to really depict in a single word. Uh, one of the examples of this in the uh, Quran is the word khamar. Khamar means intoxicants, but it's more than just something that's intoxicating. It's, the word uh, khamar comes from the root to cover. And what this is implying is that anything that covers the mind, hinders the mind, uh, that this is a, uh, a form of an intoxicant. In Surah 5 verse 9, he says, Oh, you believe the intoxicants in gambling and the altars of idols and the games of chance are abominations of the devil. You shall avoid them that you may succeed. You know, we don't just replace the intoxicants with the cover. This would be silly. It's not a, The Quran is not a Mad Lib. But by understanding the root meaning of these words, we start understanding what is it that this word is supposed to represent. Because it's tough to translate a word into a single uh, direct correlation. But by understanding the, the root of the, the, the Arabic, we can see the framework of what it means, for instance, in Khamer, that an intoxicant is anything that hinders the mind, anything that, uh, that uh, covers it from us having that cognitive fa faculty to be able to be, uh, uh, make good moral decisions. And we're doing the same thing in regards to Hanif. That yes, you could translate it into one word as monotheism, but by understanding the Arabic root, you understand all the, the foundations of what this word means. That it means to incline to the right. It means to follow the religion of Abraham. It means to leave the path, the the uh, uh, the the wrong path for the right path. That these all encompass what Hanif means. And as part of that, it means someone who performs Hajj. It means someone who is circumcised. Uh, these elements are all encompassed in this one word. So again, we seeing that all this is showing that in the Quran, these signs of circumcision, this uh, the Malat Ibrahim uh, Hanif, uh, the uh, the command that God gave to Abraham that he fulfilled, that even the disbeliever who isn't religiously inclined is aware of. These are all clues of circumcision in the Quran, but specifically its association with Abraham and Malat Ibrahim, the religion of Abraham, but. Still, we haven't seen an example of the word circumcision used. And I want to show in the next example that this word is used, but it's actually used in the, the, the opposite, not in regards to circumcision, but in uncircumcised. So in Surah 2, verse 88, 4, uh, 155, and 41.5, we have an expression that in the if you read the translation, they're written identical. It's someone whose mind is made up. But when we read the Arabic, we realize that the Arabic that's used for one versus the other uh, is actually fundamentally different, and there's a reason for it. In Surah 41, verse 5, 
It reads, uh, starting from verse 2, it says, A revelation from the most gracious, most merciful, a scripture whose verses provide the complete details in an Arabic Quran for people who know, a bearer of good news as well as a warner. However, most of them turn away. They do not hear. They said, Our minds are made up. Our ears are death to your message, and a barrier separates us from you. Do what you want, and so will we. So we see in this verse, that starting from verse 3, it says, For the people who know, that this is God giving a, a depiction of people who should know. And this isn't limited to one group of people. But the response back is that our minds are made up. And what else is interesting, that God is talking about a uh, Arabic Quran with complete details. So the Arabic that's used for this expression, that our minds are made up, it says, waqulu, uh, which means, uh, and they say, qalbuna, uh, which is our hearts, fi in akinatin, which means veils or coverings. That they're saying that, look, our, our hearts, our minds are covered. And it's using this literal language. Now, how does this vary with Surah 2, verse 88 and 4.155? Because, again, the translations are identical. But what's interesting is Surah 2, verse 88 and 4.155, it's not talking about the general population. This is talking about specifically a commandment to the children of Israel. So in 2.83, we read, We made a covenant with the children of Israel. You shall not worship except God. You shall honor your parents and regard the relatives, the orphans, the poor. You shall treat the people amicably. You shall observe the contact prayer salat, give the obligatory charity zakat. But you turned away, except a few of you, and you became averse. And it continues in 84, it says, We made a covenant with you that you shall not shed your blood, you shall, uh, you, nor shall you evict each other from your homes. You agreed and bore witness. Yet here you are killing each other, evicting some of you from their homes, banding against them sinfully and maliciously. Even when they surrendered, you demanded a ransom from them. Evicting them was prohibited in the first place. And it continues, Do you believe in part of the scripture and disbelieve in part? What should be the retribution for those among you who do this? Accept humiliation this life and a far, far worse retribution on the day of resurrection. God is never unaware of anything you do. It is they who bought this lowly life at the expense of the hereafter. Consequently, the retribution is never commuted for them, nor can they be helped. We gave Moses the scriptures subsequent to him. We sent our other messengers. We gave Jesus the son of Mary profound miracles and supported him with the Holy Spirit. Is it not a fact that every time a messenger went to you with anything you disliked, your ego caused you to be arrogant? Some of them you rejected and some of them you killed. So here God is talking to the children of Israel directly, saying that God made a covenant with them and they did not fulfill their covenant. And then in verse 288, it's saying, some would say, again, this is the children of Israel who say, our minds are made up. Instead, it is a curse from God as a consequence of their disbelief that keeps them from believing except for a few of them. And so again, we're seeing that this is the same thing that they're saying our minds are made up, but this is specifically in context to the children of Israel. We see the same thing in 4155 regarding the children of Israel. It says they incurred condemnation for violating their covenant and rejecting God's revelations and killing the prophets unjustly and saying, our minds are made up. In fact, God is the one who sealed their minds due to their disbelief. This is why they fail to believe except rarely. God is informing us the same expression that we saw in Surah 41 verse 5 that is translated the same, that our minds are made up. But in these 288 and 4155, the context is to the children of Israel. Now, what's really fascinating is when we look for what the Arabic says for our minds are made up, the Arabic is gulubuna gulfun, 
Ulubana is the same thing as our hearts or our minds. The, the translation, you'll see those used either way. But Ulufun, this means uncircumcised. What they're saying is that our hearts are uncircumcised. Now you say that's a weird expression. What does this possibly mean that uh, the, the response from them breaking their covenant is they're saying that our hearts are uh, uncircumcised. What you see is that this is a common expression used throughout the Bible. That the expression is someone who's, um, despite being physically circumcised, that their actions, their minds, their hearts are uncircumcised. And we see this rampant throughout the, uh, the, the, the Bible. In Deut Deuteronomy 10.16, it says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. In Deuteronomy 36, this is, in, uh, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. In Leviticus 26.41, it says, which, we, uh, which made me hostile towards them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin. In Jeremiah 4.4, it reads, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. In Jeremiah 9, 25 through 26, it reads, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. This is an expression that's used throughout the Bible to describe the children of Israel who do not fulfill their part of the covenant. And it's the same expression that we see in the Quran, that when it says, that this is someone who's uncircumcised their hearts, that despite the fact that they have the physical marking of circumcision on their foreskin, that their actions, their hearts, their minds are uncircumcised, that God is using the same language that he is in the Bible in the Quran towards these people. So why is it that someone whose mind is made up is also considered someone whose heart is uncircumcised? So if you go online and look up what does it mean of an uncircumcised heart, this is one of the definitions I pulled up. This is an uncircumcised heart is one that is closed and impervious to God's message. And that's what it means is that these are individuals, they've sealed themselves off from God's message. Therefore, their minds are sealed, their minds are covered. So that this word, it means the same thing, but it's fascinating that God, again, chose specific words that are going to resonate with certain people. That when God is talking about the average person, uh, and they're, they're saying that their minds are made up, that the Arabic that's used is gulubana fi akinatin, which means that our minds are covered. But when it comes to the children of Israel who broke their covenant with God, uh, that the, the Arabic that is used is gulubana gulafun. The words of the Quran are perfect. Every word is selected there for a specific intention. Uh, just like God used the, the word Milata Ibrahim, Hanif, and now we're seeing with this example in 288 and 4155, that God is selecting these words to give us a clue. Uh, again, we see that the Quran deals with matters that have been disputed. We see that in the Quran in 2124 and 5337, that God is talking about the uh, uh, promise that Abraham fulfilled that even the one who turned away was aware of. All these are showing us signs that, yes, circumcision was part of the rituals that was originally passed down to Abraham. 
Two of the other arguments that you see in regards to why, and again, it's really not as relevant. At this point, this is just a mere window dressing. Um, some people make the argument, they say that God made the human being in the best design. Therefore, uh, we shouldn't you know, circumcise because this is going against that statement. And they pull to sort of uh, 95 verse 4. It says, we created man in the best design. And one of the challenges, when you read this on a surface level, the translation, the original thought is that this has to do with the physical uh, design of the human being. But when you read the Arabic, you realize that it's more than that. So in the Arabic, it says, Obviously, if you don't speak Arabic or uh, read Arabic, uh, it's not going to have much meaning to you, but I'm going to break it down. Lagad means indeed, khalaqna, which means we created al-insana, the human being, fi in hasana, best, taqweem. So the question is, what does taqweem mean? Because if you just translate it in the best design, then you think naturally in regards to the uh, design as in the physical design. But the uh, taqween means, it comes from the root qom wow meme, and you see this used in the sense of people. It means to be upright or mustaqim, someone who's in the right path, or aqim salat, observe salat. And it typically has to do with someone who's upright, uh, both physically and spiritually. But what's interesting is if you read the following verse, it says, then, so it says, we created man in the best design. Then he turned him into the lowliest of the lowly, except those who believe and lead a righteous life. They receive a reward that is well-deserved. What we realize is that this isn't, when you put these verses in context, what does that mean that God created man in the best design, then turned him into the lowliest of the lowly? That this isn't talking about the physical design of the human being. It's talking about the design in the spiritual design. That someone is upright in the sense of being a model like employee, a model citizen, a model uh, creature, servant of God. But when we sinned and we uh, didn't follow God's command and we fell to this planet, we became the lowliest of the lowly, except those who believe and lead a righteous life. They reserve, uh, receive a reward that is well-deserved. That this verse isn't about the physical design of the human being. Yes, everything God creates is perfect. But the aspect is this verse is not talking about the physical design because everything God does is perfect. We see another example similar to this in Surah 4 verse 28. It says, And God wishes to lighten your burden, for the human being is created weak. When someone reads this on the surface level, it's as if the human being, that God created the human uh, being weak, as in they're weak in uh, uh, physical cap capability. You think of a child. But this isn't what this verse is saying. And God clarifies in Surah 30 verse 54, it says, God is the one who created you weak, then granted you after the weakness strength, then substitute after the strength weakness and gray hair. He creates whatever he wills. He is omniscient, omnipotent. That this is in regards to the physical weakness, but 428 isn't about the physical weakness. It's about there's something the human being did that affected his creation. And this becomes obvious when we read the verse, because the first part of the verse says, God wishes to lighten your burden, meaning that this is something not regarding the physical burden we're carrying, but the spiritual burden we're carrying. It says, but the human being is created weak, that we are the ones who are choosing not to accept God's redemption. And you think about the aspect that out of all the creatures of God, the human being was the one who bore the responsibility of the freedom of choice. And in 3372, it says, We have offered the responsibility freedom of choice to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they refused to bear it and were afraid of it. But the human being accepted it. He was transgressing ignorant. 
This is the problem the human being had, the creation, this weakness that we have in regards to 4 verse 28. It's not about the physical weakness. It's about the spiritual weakness. And uh, we see the same thing in regards to the, uh, the best design. So I was apprehensive if I wanted to get into this last part, but you know, what the heck. Um, why is it? What's the, the physical benefit in regards to circumcision? Uh, because a lot of people, they say, look, are you saying that God didn't create us perfect? You know, all these uh, primates and mammals, everyone have uh, foreskin. Why not the human being? The way to understand this is to realize that the human being in this physical form, I'm going to use the term homo sapien, has been around for hundreds of thousands of years. It wasn't until Adam, the first conscious entity, was placed inside this human body, this homo sapien body, that we have what we have as human beings today as we know them. Because for hundreds of thousands of years, the human being, the the, uh, homo sapien, was no different than any other primate. There was no uh, civilization, there was no culture, there was no language. But when Adam's consciousness, his soul, was placed inside the human being, that's the turning point of the human population. That's when you start having language, you have morality, you have civilization. This all stemmed back from Adam. Up until the, uh, before that, we were no different than, say, you look at a, uh, a troop of monkeys. Um, we just had the same physical form, but the consciousness, the morality was not there. We were just like animals. Uh, and again, I'm talking about the physical form. So for all those hundreds of thousands of years, one of the depictions of human beings or homo sapiens before the introduction of Adam's consciousness inside a homo sapien was they didn't wear any clothes. <laughs> this is just a fact. Uh, you look at uh, monkeys and animals, no other animal wears clothes. This is something that's unique to the human being. Even in the depiction of paradise, that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did is they realized that they were naked and they covered themselves with the leaves of paradise. That this is a unique quality of the human being. And, uh, One of the aspects is when you have clothes on and you have foreskin, these things, in essence, they uh, counteract one another. You see that the the sake of uh, infections, cleansliness, um, just uh, kind of uh, problems that occur from the human being when they wear clothes and they have foreskin. Now, the natural thing is you say, well, yeah, you could clean it and stuff, given. But the the element is that the design was designed in the, the form of what we had if we were to live in the wild. Not once we became civilized. Once Adam's consciousness was placed inside the human being, things changed in that regards. The other element is that when you look, there's only, human beings are the only species, the bonobos are the other one, that strictly, uh, they procreate more so for pleasure than they do for the sake of procreation. The vast majority of times that a human being is going to have uh, intercourse far exceeds the amount of times they're trying to actually procreate to have children. This is not how it is for other animals. Uh, For all other primates, uh, their intention of procreation for having intercourse is for the sake of conceiving a child. Um, There was a stat, it shows... Yeah, so humans are uh, one of the only mammals who have sex for pleasure. A simple example of this is that on average, a couple will have sex 1,000 times before the birth of a child, while other primates like gorilla have sex only about 12 times before birth. That this is a blessing that God has given the human being, uh, that uh, the act of intercourse with a spouse is for the sake of pleasure more so than it is for the sake of uh, uh, procreating, for having children. And one of the amazing things that happens during intercourse is that our levels of oxytocin are increased. And the longer the duration of intercourse is, 
uh, the more likely you're going to have this chemical release of oxytocin that builds this bond between a husband and a wife. Now, what happens when you have foreskin is that the stimulation is increased to the point that the intercourse uh, before ejaculation is diminished. You can go on PubMed right now and look at the uh, research around, uh, they call it IELT, intervaginal ejaculation latency time. And they compare between someone who's circumcised and someone who's not circumcised. And on average, someone who's not circumcised, the duration of intercourse before ejaculation is about twice as long, meaning the possibility of creating the excess prolonged uh, oxytocin release that forms this bond between a couple uh, is actually increased. Now you think about how amazing this is, that God created a way for the uh, descendants of Abraham to be able to enjoy this practice of intercourse, to build the stronger bond among the relationship that the disbelievers who did not partake in this ritualistic practice will not be able to benefit from. Uh, this is something, again, because keep in mind, the, this aspect of contraceptions and stuff didn't exist uh, at the time of Abraham, that this was a way for them to diminish their uh, sensory glands uh, on their uh, foreskin and therefore be able to prolong the act uh, and draw a closer bond with their spouse. This is a huge blessing. Um, you know, imagine as a parent, you have the ability to bestow this gift upon your uh, your child uh, that it's going to give them better hygiene, uh, less pr uh, prone to uh, infection, uh, a better sex life with their spouse, and also the ability to have a stronger bond with their spouse to increase their chances of staying together through relationship difficulties. You know, would you want to provide such a blessing to your child? Um, to me, I would. Uh, and, you know, again, this is a personal matter. Uh, if someone chooses to circumcise or not, it's 100% up to them. I'm just strictly just giving you information. Uh, take it or leave it. One of the signs of a believer versus, you know, monotheist uh, versus an idol worshiper uh, is shown to us in Surah 42 verse 14. It says, ironically, they broke up into sex only after the knowledge had come to them due to jealousy and resentment among themselves. If we're not for a predetermined decision from your Lord to respite them for a d definitive interim, they would have been judged immediately. Indeed, the later generations who inherited the scripture are full of doubts. That God is informing us that when we get information from the Quran, when new uh, things that we didn't know before are presented to us, do we are we happy, are we joyful, or we become resentful? Because if we're happy and joyful, if what is being stated is true, then we should have every reason to be thankful for getting, gaining that understanding. But if gaining new understanding, learning something new about the, the words of the Quran, the phrases of the Quran, the, uh, the embedded information inside the Quran, only makes us resentful, only makes us break into sex, then it shows that we're not monotheists, but we're idol worshippers. And, you know, by God's leave, the Quran is embedded with so much information that you could read the Quran an infinite amount of times and be able to pull new information out of it each time. And this is a joyous act for us, that once the topic comes to, uh, to be questioned, that the answers for that are already embedded in the Quran. It just requires us to look a little deeper than we did before. 
but everything, every example, every question we have, every uh, aspect of our salvation, of our ritualistic practices, it's all embedded inside the Quran. That anything that is disputed upon, that we have to trust that God has put that answer inside the Quran to learn from. So God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you guys want an uh, awesome translation of the Quran, we do a word-for-word -word translation of the Arabic along with an awesome translation of the entire verse uh, at Quran Study, and it's on the I, uh, iTunes App Store. And we also have the website, QuranStudyApp.com. And if you guys like the podcast, please leave us a review. Uh, let other people know about it. And until next time, peace and God bless.